My name is Andrew Cleary, and you are listening to the F1 Podcast. What's up, everyone? It is Richie here from the F1 Podcast. Happy Baby Friday. Today is October 12th, 2023, and we are filming this a couple of days after the 2023 Qatar Grand Prix. Season three, episode 27. I'm here with Andrew Cleary. Andrew, how are you doing, my man? Oh, I'm doing well. I, I'm feeling better than what most drivers probably felt like on Sunday after the race. That's for sure. Yeah, and I think there's definitely a lot to discuss about that. Where do we want to start? I think, okay, so other than the scorcher heat, which a lot of drivers did struggle, I think we definitely did see some amazing racing. Yeah, the triple world champion. Yes. So for those that don't know, he won his 14th consecutive time while starting for pole, longest streak in F1 history. I it, It's crazy to win one, but two, but three in a row. Not many people can say they've done that. And I think if you can try to name them, Lewis Hamilton, Michael Schumacher, Sebastian Vettel. Um, I would probably, there's probably other drivers I could think of, but it's just pretty wild to see what he's accomplished and how young he is too. And this was, was his 10th hat trick of a win. In theory, tie or go ahead of Vettel's record of most wins, F1 wins uh, in terms of driving. Isn't that wild? Again, a foot. It's just a culmination of a full season of him just being on another level, right? Adrian Newey just gave him the perfect car this season, but <clears throat> you make, was it? Total One says that you need both the perfect car and the perfect driver in order to win world championships because without one or the other, you're not going to, you're only going to win races, but not world championships. Max has just dominated the field this year. Absolutely from top to bottom. As you mentioned, 14th consecutive time starting for pole, longest streak in F1 history. And yeah, I think he, he's going to break his own record of wins um, that he set last year uh, with this car this year. And he leads the driver's championship by over 200 points. And the largest victory margin ever was 155 points by Vettel in 2023. So just this, or sorry, 2013. So just to think that he's only going to build that from there. He is just setting record upon record this year. And it's something that, you know, as much as it gets boring to watch, quote unquote, we just got to soak this in because we may never see a, another season like this. Just the amount that he has accomplished this season in. Normally, we kind of joke that like, uh, Max Verstappen wins again, but the way that he's been winning, whether if it's 15 seconds, 30 seconds, 34 seconds, it's been unbelievable what he's kind of like accomplished. I mean, we kind of all do wish that it was a little bit more competitive. And I think speaking about competitive, I think we might have saw that this weekend where, yes, Max Verstappen did win again. The gap was not as wide as it's used to he's won in 24 different circuits in his f1 career and he's passed michael schumacher in terms of this trait and he's only like i think seven behind lewis hamilton so i don't know what the other tracks that he's not won at but <laughs> i can only imagine what he he can do do you think he's gonna get over 14 wins next year alone see here's the fish we have so mclaren has done such an amazing job this year right with regards to really closing that gap from where they came from getting pretty much gaining over two seconds back um in their development right is there they're the closest com competition <clears throat> to red bull right now but yeah. the thing is max himself is so dominant that even with how poorly checo's been performing lately i think in the past few races Mc red bull still have the upper advantage on 
total constructor points one. So barring any changes, I honestly think that Max Verstappen will continue to win World Drivers Championships until he just decides to retire at this point. He is just on, he's like, he is in his peak form. He's still like, he's still in his late 20s. So he can do this for many and more. Actually, I think he's like mid 20s, like late 20s, but he can do this for many and more years in the sense that I honestly don't see him losing a world driver's championship for the foreseeable future. And uh, he could very well tie Schumacher and Hamilton at seven. I think it's just a matter of, does he want to? Or, you know, because he can just get bored, right? In that sense, like as much as he loves winning, he's even said in the past that he always looks for new challenges. So, you know, the day that he moves, I think he, you know, considering if he wins a few more times, he might move on from F1 to do some other different like endurance style competitions. But honestly, until I see otherwise, it's his championship to lose from now on. I think we should put him in an Alpha Tari and see how that goes. <laughs> yeah. I bet you he'd still get consistent points. I don't know about like race wins, but I think he will be able to put that car within the points. But I think we have to talk about the weekend that was in Qatar. Um, I can, let's just first start off with like the sprint race. New winner. I don't know if we, it's considered a win um, in F1 standards, but Oscar Piastri, man, talk about a rookie season. This guy is happy. He won. He won. Uh, Lando Norris came two, I believe. Oh, actually, sorry. Lando Norris came third in the sprint classifications, but he held off Max Verstappen. Mind you, a lot of the drivers went with their soft tires, and then those with, I think, the medium tires were able to hold out. I cannot think of a better rookie season other than when, I think, maybe when it was Lewis Hamilton with McLaren early on in his career. Like, I think Oscar's just having an amazing season. I Honestly, I give him the MVP well, I mean, A, the Rookie of the Year trophy, we have one at our award ceremony, but probably MVP at this point. Yeah, um, very interesting sprint on Saturday. Lucille International Circuit, they put down a new tarmac or a new track. To be honest with you, Richie, I think they would have had better grip driving around the financial district in Toronto. Do a barrel roll. For the better part, because this, <laughs> it, just, it looked awful. And, like, it was... To, you know, there was no rubber laid down, so guys could get grip out of the gate early. They were the only one to really like F1 was the only classification to drive there this weekend. There was no F2, no F3, no Porsche supercar, no nothing. So it was really tough for them to lay down the rubber uh, in that regards. But uh, it was quite an interesting sprint with with that said is that, you know, slippery track. There was a lot of dust outside of the racing line to start on Saturday. So really tough to make key moves uh in the uh in, in the sprint and uh, we saw you know a lot of people go off right and just kind of fell out that's why we had three safety cars in the sprint race a couple act you know checko creating an accident on the third one and kind of basically handing verstappen the title uh on the yeah. saturday but no kudos to oscar it was quite an interesting strategy those who started on the softs compared to the mediums uh in that case the soft tire life just was decimated like and guys it, were guys were complaining about graining after one and a half laps of race. It, I'm like, that is crazy and just hard to fathom in that regards. Yeah, I think let's just let's just kind of give some context there. Like normally when you use the soft tire, it is the fastest tire, but you're more likely not to use it for long stints. So depending on the track, you're looking at about like maybe 20 laps max, 25. But for this, the fact that you mentioned it earlier is that people were complaining after not even a lap 
And you kind of even saw that because the Ferraris, like Carlos Sainz was pretty sure he was doing fine, but then he just kept falling back behind. And anyone who's, who's on the softs like really could not compete. And so they were the only saving grace was just the amount of safety cars because it could have been a lot worse. The amount of safety cars that helped kind of preserve that tire per se. I mean, you got to think about it. You had Liam Lawson go off. You had Logan Sargent go off. You had Ocon Perez and then Nico Hulkenberg all in, within a collision in itself. It, just, it was just a wild kind of sprint race. And just sad because like normally this would have been a great track to kind of watch it. But yeah, like you know, the wind, wind played a major factor, right? Guys were, you know, the wind was put, it was pretty intense in the terms of that. You know, a lot of guys were exceeding track limits, you know, kind of like Austria. We're having another problem with track limits, which was just kind of marring the sport a little bit there. But yeah, as you, as you mentioned, like, who, who could have thought that, you know, at, with with three safety car stints, you know, a soft tire could not make it 19 laps, right? The, it was funny. It was crazy watching in the, sorry, in the beginning, how the medium runners were really struggling for grip off the line, right? And I was able, you know, the soft guys, you know, the guys with the soft tires were able to, you know, get off the line quicker, really make some positions up early, but kind of, you know, tortoise beating the hare in that regards in terms of strategy, right? Going through like the soft, like going through the harder tire and the medium, but uh, it just shows, it just showed a massive tire advantage um, towards the end of that sprint race, right? And, um, you know, as a result, Oscar was able to finish, uh, you know, ahead of ahead of Russell. I think he was on the soft. Um, Piastri on the medium he was able to get around him there late in the race, and uh, it sucks because it's his first win, sort of, and F one because it's a sprint, not the race. So it's tough to distinguish that um, in that case. So, it, and nevertheless, I think Oscar should be really excited. He's really pushing his teammate lately in terms of performance, which is great to see. Yeah. And uh, I think McLaren have a dynamic duo going into next season with another with having Oscar being in his sophomore year uh, in that case, because he's really having an outstanding rookie year uh, considering where they started. Yeah, and it's just been very interesting to see the turnaround because just the success that McLaren has been having for the last couple of weeks of, of races have really turned the tides on the constructors. Because now I think they're not even 15 or 20 points behind Austin Martin, who have pretty much been dominant all season until the last couple of laps. Like, it looks like Ferrari and Mercedes are kind of scrapping it out for P2. And just it's kind of like a check, check chess game at one point. One team can score more points one weekend, the other. But I think that's definitely kind of going to be interesting to see. And, like, you know, maybe if, if, if um, McLaren are able to kind of keep producing these podiums or – I don't know if a race wins possible. There could be a, a situation where they could easily be P2 or P3 uh, just, just because of just the success they're having in those cars. And, you know, honestly, I'm also kind of like maybe controversial. I'm happy Oscar is giving Lando a run for his money. And especially in his rookie year, clearly qualified to be in this car and that he's got a, not only a bright future ahead of him, he could easily be number one driver. It's kind of woken up Lando a little bit, right? Considering how the last couple of seasons he had Danny Ricardo as yeah. his teammate. And, you know, clearly to see that DR had a lot of struggles in that McLaren car, right? And kind of Lando was able to kind of coast as the number one driver really pretty much overall and be the headliner in that team. Now it's his position is getting pushed by, you know, the young, vibrant rookie in the team, right? And... I honestly think, though, that's good for Lando's development because he needs that additional – I think he needs that additional push just to enhance his racecraft in that regard. 
because uh, he is still, you know, really young, right? And, uh, you know, pushing them to have maybe potentially Claren, McLaren, you know, compete with Red Bull on a constructor standpoint and get them back to a dominance, to a dominant car that we've seen in the early 2000s and, you know, uh, late 2000s, early 2010s. Uh, when Hamilton and uh, you know Button and Alonso were all on that, were all on the wheel for McLaren. So <clears throat> quite interesting. There's no doubt in my mind that they're going to surpass Aston Martin, which is really frustrating. <laughs> I have some. Well, we'll talk about a certain someone later. Let's finish the sprint because I think <laughs> there's still some good things we can talk about. Um, so yeah, Oscar one, Max Verstappen two, Lando Norris three, George Russell, Lewis Hamilton. Uh, respectable four five carlos signs six alex albon i think he's he 17 left. to p7 in the sprint race think about that he gained 10 spots in that sprint race yeah yeah he definitely did he, he showed i don't know what happened in the the race itself i have to check, double check but yeah no he had a good one and then just rounding it off in the points fernando alonso uh with the one point uh, Leclerc did finish seventh at the track, but he received a post sprint five second time penalty for exceeding track limited limits. And also Lance Stroll finished 13 on the track, but received another a five second post penalty. Yeah, I think going on. So, you know, we crowned the champion basically the minute I saw Sergio Perez's car basically sandbox. I was like, okay, it's, it's declared. Now let's get into the race weekend. Yeah. I think though, what was really interesting was tire rule that FIA implemented because of how poor the track was. You know, it's so bad that the FIA has to make you stop three times and ruins any possible um, strategy that you had for a one stopper or two stopper. So the rule was, is that based on the tire degradation that they saw on Sunday combined is kind of like the heat, the track, and also the curve, the new curves that they implemented, right? Just really chewing up the tire and the rubber. Uh, Pirelli and FIA met and they felt that it was best is that no matter what tire set that you have, you could not exceed 18 laps on each individual set, right? So for instance, yeah, and it, and it included lap used laps too. So for instance, if say you had on one set of softs, you had 10 laps used up already, you could only race on those tires for eight laps during the race. Otherwise, you would have gotten a black flag and gotten disqualified for the race. So as a result, it created a minimum three pit stop strategy for everybody involved because it was a 57 lap race. And, you know, Last time I checked, 57 divided by 18 is about three and a bit. So I got had to do a minimum of three laps in that three three pit stops in that guard. So it did create for some interesting strategy and some fun strategy because middle of the race, uh, John, I just it was just so chaotic in terms of when everyone was pitting. I was like, I don't even know like who's like the, the leader on track at that point, right? Obviously, it was Verstappen to to go for it. But I mean, in terms of like if you're talking about other positions, like Alonso was p3 and then back to p12 but like p4 on track and uh it, it created for a lot of chaos throughout the race in terms of the strategy which is fun don't get yeah. me wrong but to be the quote-unquote pinnacle of motorsport you know taking from what tyler has mentioned when we were messaging him on the weekend just for the fact that you have a track that's just so awful that you need to implement this rule for like safety purposes it just it does not look good on you was it even worth it to kind of go there? I think this was one of the lower attendance races of the season too. Yeah, and is Qatar a track kind of like Austria where they need to adjust the white line rule? Yeah. In order for racing to be somewhat, not clean, but watchable, 
right? And try and like how guys don't have to worry about, you know, exceeding quote unquote track limits because of conditions that are their play, right? With regards to the wind and, you know, slippery surfaces and whatnot. Do they, should they extend some of the track limits in terms of like where the white lines are to give the drivers like a, a couple extra, like just breathers, right? You know, for instance, in Austria, at the Red Bull ring, if they unlap on turns nine and 10, if they just push that white line back a little bit, I don't yeah. think you have an issue anymore with regards to track limits. And I think with a few of these corners in Qatar, you could do the same thing. And I don't think it will affect the quality of racing in that regard. I think that's totally fair. And especially the amount of penalties that we saw this weekend, just kind of reminded me, it just kind of was just a little frustrating to watch. I mean, Lance Stroll got a two sec, two, five seconds. Pierre Gasly got two five seconds. Uh, Alex Albon got two five seconds. Sergio Perez got two five seconds or either a five second penalty, but it was just chaotic. Um, I think we should get into the beginning of the race because. Oh, wow. Forgot about the Mercedes. You think they're going to get off easy well, this one? So interesting enough, right? Was, How, was, you was Rossberg did, there? Well, <laughs> well, I think, I think. I honestly think uh, Toto had some uh, pretty bad flashbacks to Spain 2016. <laughs> <laughs> Nonetheless, so going into going to the weekend, right? Uh, Ferrari a couple is about like 30 points behind Mercedes with an opportunity, I think, to catch them or not catch yep. them, but close the gap. Got outperformed in the sprint race, unfortunately. But hey, I think you guys, you get you know opportunity. I know Mercedes finished two and three in qualifying, but maybe you get some points here in that regards, right? What happens? We have an issue with the gearbox. I think it was a gearbox or the engine for science. And, you know, he yeah. can't start the race, right? So down one. Opportunity for Mercedes to really pull away for P2 and the Constructors' Championship. And they had that start. <laughs> uh, Carlos was, uh, Leclerc was concerned that Carlos was struggling. And you kind of did see that on the track. So I kind of a little bit was not surprised that 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 came in. But yeah, talk about a lifeline. Oh, literally, this could have been so much worse. And credit is credit due to George Russell to come back from all the way from the bottom to come back to P4 for getting his his teammate totally taking him out. But sorry, sorry to take your thunder. Andrew, you wanted to talk 2016. Go ahead. (laughs) So start off the line. Hamilton's on the soft. Russell's on the medium, right? Five lights go out, boom. Verstappen takes, goes ahead in P1. Then we got P2 and P3. Got to a point where Russell's on the middle, Verstappen's on the inside ahead, and Hamilton's on the outside with a soft tire. Now, we saw in the sprint race how the soft tire was really, you know, a game changer at the start of the race in terms of grip compared to yeah. the medium, right? So with that, I think, said, knowing that Lewis had the softs, he saw a little bit of a gap on the outside. And he just took it. The issue was he kind of squeezed his teammate in, considering where Verstappen was, and they collided and banged tires. And I don't fault George 100%. Even Russell came out. I mean, even Hamilton came out and said that it was his fault, which I, I think Hamilton saw a gap, got a little greedy with it, and unfortunately paid the ultimate price, which kind of threw a lifeline in. For Ferrari thinking, okay, maybe we can kind of limit some damage here, get some potential points back against Mercedes and kind of not have, you know, keep that gap around 30 to 40 points in the constructors this week. The mission for Leclerc and just coming fifth. I know he was in the podium position there, but I, I think just clearly you can tell the McLaren just a better car right now. So he was easily getting getting past, but 
I mean, Fernando tried to make it interesting there, but he he fell down on the grid to, to P6. And I mean, he made a couple a lot mistakes of- early, which were the which was he made a couple mistakes late. Like he got up to the podium position of P3 at the start of the race, but he went off track a couple times based on his own merit, which really cost him positions. Um, talk about Alfa Romeo, though. They had a surprisingly great Sunday. Eh? Did they get lucky, or were they, was it just good management? I, I well. Joe came from 19 to nine. I think there's credit there already. Again, I think it's because of this whole like multi pit stop strategy. It really, you really had the time. All timing was a much key part of the strategy as strategy was this weekend in terms of like overall overtaking and whatnot. So get, you know, timing those pit stops correctly uh, to really gain a jump on maybe and you know, how powerful the undercut could be uh, really played into the hand. Well, but I think Joe had an incredible drive overall too you know it's tough to go from p19 to p9 and now for Romeo that's been underperforming all season it's just really exciting to see for him yeah and definitely i think they kind of needed some a little bit of extra push in the constructors lately and so they benefited from this restart strategy but you kind of talk about pit, pit lane when we're talking about the pit lane and everything mclaren set the record for the fastest pit stop completed in 1.80 seconds Previous record was set in 2019 Brazilian Grand Prix by Red Bull at 1.82 seconds. I was shocked <laughs> they were able to hit that. McLaren's pit crew this weekend were just money in terms of, I think they had, I think their average stop was around 2.1 seconds. They were so rapid with the, with the tire changes. And I think that was a real key point, a uh, real key uh, case of getting a double podium uh, for both, Oscar and Lando this weekend uh, to, you know, I, I, to have that kind of, they, they undercut a lot of people. I know in particular, I believe it was, with that one pissed off, they undercut Alonzo really badly mm-hmm. and was, or, or, or when was able to gain um, a couple of positions as a result of that. Um, Logan Sargent. I think he deserves a lot of credit for admitting to say that I can't drive anymore. I'm not feeling a hundred percent. I need to retire. These people are human. <laughs> and even Fernando Alonso even admitted he's like can you throw water on my uh car when I come in the pit and I don't know if you remember but back in the day I don't know if it was in the 50s or 60s they would literally have a bucket of water and as the drivers were driving around they would splash them yeah for those who didn't know it was like I think at points the track temperatures were like 50 degrees celsius 122 Fahrenheit yeah in their cockpits it it was Traditionally, this race, you know, the one time that they had this race in 2021, it was held in November. And for the future, it's going to be held, I believe, in late November, December uh, going forward. It just goes yeah. to show how much of the time difference, you know, month can make in terms of climate. Because there was a lot of concerning conditions. And kudos to F1, or kudos to the F1 drivers for even completing the race this week and considering what we heard about how many drivers were just suffering being in those temperatures from 50 degrees Celsius. I'll let you name them out because it is a laundry list of what happened. So one, so one thing I've, I've learned is George Russell is the director of the Grand Prix Drivers Association. Didn't know that was such a thing, but I guess the representative, kind of like the NHLPA probably. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, George Russell said many were close to passing out. Alpine Esteban Alcon revealed he vomited inside his helmet because of the extreme temperature. Austin Martin's Lance Stroll, he was in danger of losing consciousness while 
Alex Albon had to attend the medical center owing to heat exhaustion. Uh, Logan Sargent, his teammate, which actually not a lot of people realize this, he was kind of struggling with the flu that week, retired while suffering from dehydration. Well, um, it, it, side note, funny enough, because when he retired in the race, I was watching it with no audio to start because I had football on too while watching the race. And I was kind of confused as to what was going on and why he was, you know, retiring because I didn't see anything wrong with his car. Um, when he was, when he was calling for the retirement, he was still like in race pace, but mm-hmm. when they, when they pan the video to him trying getting out of the car, like back in the garage, man, did he, he just look decimated. And that was just really scary to see because these are high performing athletes who are just getting absolutely dismantled by the heat. And, and, and we talk about the heat because everyone keeps talking about Singapore as like the marathon or the the racetrack that like people Carlos Sainz even a minute he's like I trained for that race in Singapore just because of how hot it is a lot of the drivers if you could tell during the main straight they would put their helmet visor up just so they can get some quote-unquote fresh air back into their helmet before going around the track they were trying to get some wind through their you know hands through their it's just they said over 50% of the grid said they were feeling sick after the race, couldn't drive, and close to passing out. That is scary. Like, passing out in the middle of a race, potentially, because of heat exhaustion in, like, 250-plus like kph conditions is so scary. Look how look how decimated Oscar Piastri was in the uh, cool-down room. Wasn't a cool, a cool room, that's for sure. I wanted to go and just throw ice on the guy the entire time <laughs> because he just... He was just gassed, and he was trying to watch the highlights while lying down on the ground. And then as soon as he turned around to face the TV, it stopped. <laughs> so it was it was frustrating. It's like all that extra energy to kind of, um, you know, go forward with that. But yeah, they need. I it's. I think it's a concern that they need to address, and you know, I think they have for future races and putting it later on, but. Man, yeah. what a physically tolling race that they had this weekend. And I, I think definitely this is going to kind of, I think the FIA has already admitted that they're, they're looking into some of these things too. Not everybody had a good weekend and there must be so much pressure on Sergio Perez. Like, I don't, I don't it's tough. I don't know about you, but on Reddit, they were suggesting that he's going to retire at the end of the Mexican, at the Mexican Grand Prix. And he... It's it, it just shows that how it's not that how out of touch he, he can just prove that he's got a good driver, but Fernando Alonso has more Q3 appearances, Sergio Perez and Lance Stroll combined. It's just really tough because I understand Red Bull expects perfection. The problem is when you have a teammate who's pretty much perfect in Max Verstappen, it's so tough to kind of live up to that. And to be honest with you, Checo is the best number two driver that Red Bull have had since Danny Ricardo back in 2018. And to be honest with you, I think they're alienating um, Checo inside the team. Helmet Marco with his comments, um, you know, and just added pressure about how he might not even have a seat next year. I understand where they're coming from and, you know, the demanding like excellence from both their drivers, but... I think they're putting just so much insurmountable pressure on Checo to perform that, you know, truthfully, and to be fair, he put a lot of pressure on himself at the beginning of the year, so it doesn't help. But when they kind of set that standard up, 
they may need just to relook the drawing board because Checo's going to continue to be a number, a good number two driver, all things considered, even though his performances aren't well in qualifying, he's still got that great race craft that shows that he is able to perform. He's won races on Sunday and when and he went right, he wins races, but, but, but he can't win. But the, but the problem, I guess the problem is Andrew is maybe there's just so much pressure on him that like his expectation of winning races from like the back of the grid cannot be every single time. Like that's not always going to work out. But that's and something even, that he has to take a look at yeah. personally and understand that, you know, maybe you do need to enhance your qualifying pace. But if you, if you don't get yourself in a position where you're going to score really great team points for him on the weekend, right? As much as everyone, like everyone's, you got to be realistic in some form of manner too, right? Because when your teammate is Max Verstappen, good luck. Also, I don't know if this is like a true stat or anything. I saw this online. Christian Horner admitted that Red Bull no longer has a pair of drivers like Formula One, like their rivals, Mercedes, Ferrari, and McLaren. So that I, I, I don't know how accurate that statement is, but if he even said that like publicly, but, or that's Helmut Marco go to the media without consulting his team. But I think it's all relative to the team's performance as well, because yes, Lando and Piastri have been performing well in the car, but you know, again, I'm saying relative when you have Max Verstappen, who's literally been, he's literally the greatest driver of his generation right now. And just, oozing confidence in his absolute prime, no one's going to beat him. He's only lost two races. He's only lost three races this year, two to his teammate at the beginning of the season, which was great. But I think just putting that extra pressure on himself, I think Checo just needs to step it back here and really focus on his craft over the next four races because unless the rumors are true that he retires in 2024, I think Red Bull is going to show him the door at this point, which is something you would not have said the mid-season break definitely not um speaking about other news that kind of uh, leading out of the Qatar uh, just before we kind of get into uh some other pieces is there anything else uh that we should cover from Qatar Lance Stroll I think the dude's done I really do do you think he's going to be gone by the end of the year oh I don't think you can definitely tell that this was like a weekend that he did not want to be there anymore or did not want to race anymore. His media interview, his frustrations have really boiled to a point where it you feel bad for the guy, but like maybe this is the point where you need to take you need to take the next season off or something. But you can't do what he does. You can't do what he did. Oh, I know. I'm not I'm not I'm not protecting him for sure. I get getting heated, but that's embarrassing. Like to just take it out on your personal trainer like that, because you can't perform to a level that you should be at in that car. Like, you know, when your teammate is, you know, making Q3 on a consistent basis, you should be getting into Q2 at least. Right. The fact that he can't even get out of, he can't even sniff Q2, um, let alone figure out how to drive the car out of Q1 is just, you know, is shocking. And, you know, so after he went back in the garage, he just took his like steering wheel and threw it oh, out, I didn't out see of the that. cockpit. Like, a, you know, like a five-year-old didn't want to play with his toys anymore. So he threw it across the room in frustration. And then, you know, having, he had to go to the FIA to go get weighed after Q1. Didn't want any part of it. So he just, you know, pushed his engineer, pushed, pushed his trainer, not once, but also like twice in the back hallway before going and then with the third you know strike three cherry on top go to his little press conference after the race and he pulls the marshawn lynch you know i'm just I'm here just so here. i don't get yeah. fined uh comments it's just like 
grow up, man. Like this is all on you for not performing. And yeah, I understand he, the moment you're frustrated, but you're not making yourself being liked at all, or there's no sympathy going to be coming from anybody in this paddock because of the way that you're handling and conducting yourself in front of media and public. Yeah. And I, I think after this weekend really quite clearly showed, and I don't know if anyone really defended him. Um, so I don't know. I'll just kind of see how the next couple of weeks ago. Um, speaking about other teams, um, let's talk tires. Pirelli to continue an exclusive F1 tire supplier until 2027. And uh, is Andretti actually going to come to F1? Like, well, on the first point, great to see that the FIA are uh, awarding mediocrity in terms of you know tire performance. It's great to see. Do <laughs> a barrel uh, roll. It's a 2027. Like they got to figure it out because of what happened this past weekend. I honestly think, John, it sounds crazy, but I think they implemented that 18 lap rule because of Las Vegas. Oh, yeah. Because I don't think the track is really going to be ready in time by the time they race in the streets of Las Vegas. Uh, clearly, the tires do not perform well when it comes down to when, when new rubber has been laid or when new tracks have been laid out. So I wonder if this was just kind of like a precedence case sent for what they're going to be doing in Vegas. You never know in that regards. But yeah. F1 tired supplier until 2027. Great Pirelli. Hope you could figure your shit out before the end of that contract because in Las Vegas. So if they want to send the F1 podcast there, please do. We're ready to go. I'll be your bet. I'll be the biggest Pirelli supporter if we end up, if, if they, if they bring us on. <laughs> I won't say anything bad about their tires. <laughs> just, we just don't tell them about this episode. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So uh, FIA president Mohammed Ben Suleiman uh, or Suleiman. Uh, gave kind of the the FIA go-ahead for Andretti to become the 11th team in F1. Now I believe it's got to go through an F1 vote where not everyone's going to want not everyone's going to not everyone's excited about this. I know I think James Valls came out and said something at Williams that it really hurts the lower performing teams um, because of potential money issues and those who don't can't budget as much. But you know, Mohammed, I love those comments when he said that uh, F1's going to have more teams in it and less races. And I think that's kind of what the fans have been preaching the whole time with the, you know, and what the racers, what the drivers are preaching too, because there are so many good um, drivers coming up through like the F2, like in the, in like teams academies that we really do need an 11th team on the grid to showcase that talent. And yeah, we're going to a point where like 23 races, it's fun, but man, it's a lot on, you know, we've talked about this all year. It's just a lot on the drivers. It's a lot on their families. It's a lot on the crews and their families and everything like that. So, yeah, better quality races in that regards, I think would go. Well, at least not not only like quality races, but like competitive races, too, because every weekend, if we keep coming to talk about how Max Verstappen won this weekend, I get it. Why there's some discussions of people uh, like you. I don't know about you've seen, but like viewership or mentions are like down significantly this year. But hey, the F1 podcast keeps growing. We're at 637 Instagram followers. So we're trying to hit a thousand by the end of the year. Let's keep it up that support and, and make sure to keep following us on our Instagram or on our other social media pages. But yeah, I feel, I feel you. I feel you, Andrew. I almost wonder if like FIA or F1 are going to start implementing like, like Grand Prix specific rules, whenever they go to like, you know, for instance, they go to Coda next, right? Oh, yeah. by the way, F1 watch party at Trinity Commons. 
for the United States Grand Prix at Coda. Please book your table now. We do have spots, but please book tables at Trinity Commons to see Erica, myself, and John there. But I almost wonder if it'd be kind of funny if, like, at one point they had to ride a horse, like, in cowboy gear around the track for a few laps, and then they can then drive an F1. <laughs> you know, kind of, like, do these fun gimmicks to, like, you know, get people's viewerships back up, I think, would be interesting. <laughs> Yeah, something just kind of like get make the the rest of the season exciting, especially since like Red Bull has won drivers and constructors. Um, so yeah, that would kind of be fun. You know, we're always open to new ideas, F1 and FIA. So please drop us a message on Instagram. We have some thoughts. And especially you want to hear those thoughts, as Andrew said, come to Trinity Comment. Uh, we're pretty excited. I think we're gonna try to get 20 people out on ourselves and our table, but I've already heard. Like we posted something on Instagram. I'm already getting a couple of text messages of people wanting to come. It's a lot of fun. We love. We would love for you all to be there. And I mean, three of us. When was the last time we were at Trinity Common? A while ago. So it's it's finally gonna be exciting just to come back to Trinity Common and just see all of our fans again in person since since it's been a while. I think before the summer. To be fair, United States Grand Prix at Coda kind of has a pretty warm spot in our hearts because that was our first ever watch party. Was last oh, year yeah. watching the same. G- was watching, uh, you know, uh, you know, Austin GP in that regard. So, you know, I'm really excited to see what goes on. Danny Ricardo is going to be back apparently for AlphaTauri. So, uh, Liam Lawson's off to the bench, unfortunately. Even though he had yeah. he had a stellar run in F, you know, in his little short time in F1. But I think that'll play well for uh, you know, his future his future in the sport. But man, who knows if if Checo announces his retirement at the Mexican GP, silly season will officially begin. I I I it's I I don't I don't, ugh, I don't even know what to expect. Also, just I don't know if you know this, Andrew, but we were at like 150 followers at that first watch party, and look how much we've grown since that first watch party. And I'm looking for you know it's just I'm excited to see you know the future growth of us, and then also within you know. Hopefully that our growth aligns with the growth in the sport. Get that 11th team in F1, people. Come on, F1. Get that 11th team in. Um, I think this will end off on episode, uh, season three, episode 27 of the F1 podcast. But we're all looking forward to seeing you at Trinity Commons for October 22nd for the U.S. Grand Prix. It is Richie here with Andrew. Andrew, send us off like you usually do. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Season 3, Episode 27 of the F1 Podcast. Please follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and uh, I, on Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> Apple, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spotify, YouTube. <laughs> and like and subscribe to XReachy on YouTube um, for great F1 content. Yeah, we again will be back at Trinity Commons for the United States Grand Prix, which we're really looking forward to. And um, let's see if uh, the Red Bull dominance is going to continue on at Coda, or is there going to is it finally time for McLaren to get to get the buck off the horse and win their first Grand Prix of the season? Only time will tell. See you soon.